Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends. Welcome one more time to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is John Russin. I serve as the host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Frank Friedman, one more time in our series that we're calling The Power of Story, in which we take some deeper, richer, more intense looks into the lives of Christians, some of their experiences, and the circumstances that drew them to Christ as Savior and to Christ as their life. That's the most important thing. Christ is their life. So, Frank, we have a guest today, Mr. Steve Pettit. Since you've been knowing Steve for a lot longer than I, why don't you take a few moments and introduce Steve, and then we'll turn the mic over to him. Oh, that's a, a tremendous pleasure. Steve and I met quite a few years ago, and uh, we speak together uh, at least once a year at different places. And uh, whenever anybody calls me and says, will you come and speak? And they'll tell me Steve Pettit is speaking then I instantly tell them I get to go first or I'm not going uh, because I'm not going to follow this man. He, uh, John, speaks from a heart that is full of life, uh, but also a mind that has been filled with truth. And he very much has a prophetic type of voice for the church. Uh, no nonsense. Uh, if Jesus is who he says he is, then we better get serious about who he is. And I think that's probably the best way to define my friend, Steve Pettit. So, uh, Steve, John, I'll turn it back to you. Okay, Steve, thanks for joining us today. You're my in sunny, sunny Florida. Frank's in sunny Louisiana. I'm in sunny Arizona. So we're covering a few time zones. Tell us, Steve, if you will, please just... Who you are, what you do, what you've been up to, and how Father has led your ministry. Well, I am, like you guys, uh, a son of the Most High God, made so through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, that is the foundation, the core, the center of uh, who he has made us to be. And he's privileged me to direct a ministry called One in Christ for over 30 years now, uh, which is... Uh, uh, kind of a counseling and teaching ministry that hopefully bears witness to the liberating truth of Christ being himself and expressing himself in and through and as us, each of us, unique, one of a kind, never to be repeated again individuals uh, in his family. And um, I've pastored two churches in the last 40 years, uh, one in Kentucky and one here in Florida. They were very have very different makeups. I'm not sure that's pertinent to the conversation today, but I do love the diversity in the body of Christ, uh, the different forms, the different expressions, the different journeys that people are, are taking. And uh, I count it a privilege uh, to be able to uh, know people like Frank and, and, and share the journey of proclaiming the, the truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So 
Uh, Ellen and I have, have been married uh, 40 plus years now. We have five children, seven grandchildren, and um, some of them live nearby. Some are scattered around the country, even as we, the three of us are right now. Uh, and um, we uh, delight in watching them grow up into what it means to be children of God as well. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, great to hear. We also have five children and seven and growing two more, nine grandchildren. And uh, we're entering, I think we're in our 42nd year, 43rd year. It's amazing how time goes by and how Father has been so faithful uh, to get us through mm -hmm. some pretty big wrinkles in our marriage. And I know he has with yours. Amen. Amen. So Steve, how did you come to faith? How were you raised? Tell us a little bit about your personal background. What led you to begin the path that you're on right now? As with you guys and everybody else, you would ask that question too, is a really interesting story, one that I'm not sure anybody could script, but God. But uh, to, to just kind of start with the headlines, uh, I was uh, born to teenage parents, the first in line who really didn't know what to do with a colicky little baby. And um, we were living at the time, the three of us in an upstairs apartment in Covington, Kentucky. And there was a lady living beneath us with a husband and a daughter. And uh, when I was six weeks of age, my parents didn't attend church or have any active faith. And uh, when I was six weeks old, uh, this dear sweet lady who lived below us came up to my mom and said, I have been listening to this baby cry every day for six weeks. I am sure you need a break. I am taking him to church with me today. And my mother said, gladly, here. <laughs> you can have me. <laughs> she didn't love me, but she was certainly in need of a break. And so uh, I started going to church when I was six weeks old. My parents didn't go, but this, uh, this dear lady, Juanita Day, would, would take me every week. And uh, after I was a couple of years old, my parents started attending. They became believers. Um, and I eventually uh, became a Christian at 13. And um, I was fortunate to be in a church that at least knew uh, some of the foundational truth of the gospel. I'm not sure about how much any of us uh, really knew, but uh, they were really concerned for my eternal status and uh, made the gift of life, salvation, forgiveness of sins and promise in heaven available every single week. And uh, one Sunday when I was 13, uh, I did uh, uh, commit my life to Jesus Christ and trust him for the forgiveness of sins and the promise of heaven. And I know that was real because I, I know up until that point, I really was afraid to die, even as an 11 or 12 year old boy and, and what might be on the other side. I didn't know a single thing to do to get rid of some of the errors and sins and, and transgressions in my life. But when um, the, the, the people were telling me and the Holy Spirit made it clear that Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus and what he did for me was adequate to cover those needs, I put my faith in him. And um, I, I've not been afraid to die since that day, uh, seriously. And uh, I really believed him. I, I don't know how much the people who were telling me Jesus would forgive me of all my sins actually believed that, but I believed them. Um, and, and even as a teenager, I couldn't figure out why people spent so much time in church talking about all their sins. I kept saying to myself, I think all of mine are forgiven. Um, mm. We didn't know a whole lot more 
and I didn't hear anyone else saying that. I was urged basically every week to look for sin in my life and and come to the front of the church and confess that and get forgiveness. But I was already at 13, 14, 15, convinced enough by the Holy Spirit that had been taken care of by Jesus. Uh, so that was that was kind of my start, my origins, I think, with with a lot of people. And if, if you have questions, jump in. But I'll just kind of bring it up at least to some some turning points. I went off to college and uh, I can't say that uh, Jesus was the most important part of my life. He was certainly a part of my life. Um, but I in a psychology class on a campus in Kentucky, a university campus in Kentucky, uh, I noticed this girl by the name of Jenny Daniel, and um, I think in my estimation, at least, John, she was the maybe first real Christian I had ever seen. <laughs> not, not that the people in my church were not going to heaven when they died. I'm talking about somebody for whom it looked like Jesus literally was her life. Mm. Um I could tell it was very real to her. There was something different about her. And she was involved in a campus ministry. And uh, there was never any kind of romantic attraction, uh, a, a personal friendship. But I was deeply attracted to something in her I had not seen before. And she invited me to be a part of a campus ministry, um, a Baptist student center, actually. And uh, after a couple of years of that, um, the campus ministry director talked about some summer mission projects. And I thought, well, that'd be pretty cool. I'd never been on an airplane, never been out of the state of the Kentucky. I was a firstborn child in a, in a family, first grandchild on either side. But we had stayed pretty close to home in, in Kentucky, hadn't traveled far, had any real experiences. And to make that long story short, about two months later, after an interview, I found myself in Israel uh, wow. doing a summer mission project uh, for the Baptist Convention of Israel. And that 10-month mission appointment turned into nearly two years uh, of ministry in, in Israel between my junior and senior year of, of uh, college. And uh, that was an eye-opener. Uh, it was the first time, as I was saying earlier, I had been out of my little southern rural baptist uh subculture and um you know this was not a place where it was popular neither among you know the arabs or the jews for the most part to be a believer holidays weren't celebrated there like they were in kentucky uh, church was not done in the same way everything about it was was different and it was a great experience to have uh but i have to say that it was after I returned about two years later back to the United States that um, a thought dawned on me. And I, I'm, I'm going to take it as a, a, a revelation from God, but it just seemed to be a thought to me at, at, at that point. Um, and it was this, that um, tradition and emotion had shaped almost everything that I had called Christianity. Not the truth. Hmm. And uh, my experience was real, as I said. I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew Jesus was my savior. I knew I was going to heaven when I died. But, but everything else about the way I worshiped until that experience and that I thought about God, how you're supposed to live a Christian life, all of that had been shaped by either just the traditional way of the people around me 
or kind of the, um, the, the emotions that were supposed to come when you were uh, really believing in God and trusting him for life. And uh, that very thought uh, stopped me dead in my track, guys, that, mm -hmm. that tradition and emotion had shaped most everything I call Christianity and not the truth. And I was about 22 at the time, 23. And um, I simply started reading my Bible differently. And I dared to say about God what he said about himself. And I dared to say about the church what he said about the church. And I dared to say about me what God said about me. That was pretty lonely for a while because I couldn't find anybody else really. Yeah, I can imagine mm. so. <laughs> you know, uh, Steve, as I was listening to you, you remember Rich Mullins, you know, I he do. marched to the beat of a different drum. And mm -hmm. one of my favorite songs that he sings, he recollects how he was teaching a huddle of little Indian kids. And he said, I'm trying to make them believe what is too good to be real, but more real than the air they breathe. Oh, and yeah. oh, that, that's what came in my mind when I listened to you. Uh, it's, it's, well, I think that was my experience too, yeah. Frank, because I was, I was confronted with realities I'd never heard of before. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say no one in our church ever spoke them. I may not have had ears to hear them, mm. but I struggled mightily to try to remember. So why didn't somebody tell me this? How have I been in Sunday school for 22 years now and never heard that before? How come I've sat through sermons on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night? And I have never heard something like I am dead to sin and alive to God. Why have I never heard that? and um it may have been because again it was too good to be true <laughs> uh, and people were afraid to say it um but it certainly wasn't a part of my tradition and nothing in my emotions validated or confirmed things like that it was just kind of the bare word of god yeah i remember when janet and i had our eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to the gift of righteousness. And we would walk around the house going, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. <laughs> and we'd look at each other and we go, that's just too good to be true. And then we'd wait for the lightning to hit us, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, how true. I, I would literally walk down the aisle of a store and I'm, I'm you know, I, I didn't, spend a lot of time in bookstores, but I mean like a, a drug store or a grocery store. And if there was say a copy of Sports Illustrated, maybe the swimsuit issue, they had those even 40 years ago, you know. <laughs> uh, but but I, I literally would keep walking and say out loud, and I know people thought I was insane, but I would say out loud, Frank, I'm dead to that. Yeah. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. Now, again, my tradition didn't support that. My emotions certainly didn't validate that. But I was daring to say what God said. And it wasn't a dare to God like this is either true or else. 
but but it kind of was because if this is not true and it's not real and it cannot make a difference then i'm not going to spend the rest of my life playing a game mm. that's a pretty courageous thought for a young man at your age at that time to to really wrestle with because you had on the blocks so to speak your entire life and everything that they taught you before and father was saying to turn that upside down leave it behind you because walking the aisle every sunday and examining yourself for sin every week is just so totally inconsistent with the fact that scripture says you're now dead to sin that's a courageous thing to do one that could indeed leave you pretty lonely brother well, it, it was for a while, and, and there were people, you know, questioning the things I was saying, and even people, you know, in, in my closest circles of friends and family, um, that, you know, what kind of uh, cult are you into? And, and the interesting thing was, I didn't have any commentaries. I wasn't going to anybody's meetings. Um, hmm. I wasn't reading any devotional books at the time that I can remember. I was simply picking up my Bible in the morning and reading the Psalms, or I was reading Galatians, like you were talking about earlier, or I was, you know, listening to Romans chapter six, uh, you know, that, that since Christ is in you and he has died to sin, you are dead to sin. And I would say, well, then I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Holy Spirit began the process of transformation by renewing my mind to line up with revealed truth. Mm. You know, Steve, it's, it's fascinating because I would have people uh, come to me in those early years and say, I have a real problem with what you're teaching. And I would have to correct them and say, no, 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 you have a problem with your father's word, you know, because I wasn't <laughs> teaching from Mother Goose, you right. know, and then I would have people tell me, you're on your way to being a heretic. Yeah. And I would respond two ways. I said, two things I'll say to you, sir or ma'am, I am what I'm teaching, I'll show you from our father's word. And two, I'm becoming a very happy heretic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that was a, a confirmation of sorts for me, Frank, a, a joy that was somewhat irrepressible. I felt like we spent so much time in the church trying to work up joy. Mm. Because, you know, there's no joy in a sin consciousness. There, there's That's no right. joy when the when the burden is on you to try harder this week than last week to live better, there's no joy in that. Mm. And, and I, I was experiencing, you know, that promise, that Old Testament promise, you know, the, they, they that uh, know the, the Lord and all of his joy will find strength. And I was finding an irrepressible joy. I was experiencing an, an energy I had not known before. And, and curiously, even though by this point, um, you know, Jenny had gone in one direction and I in another in terms of zip codes and vocational pursuits. But I, I got a sense, oh, this is what I saw in Jenny. Mm. <laughs> and, and I don't know, I mean, I, that she even would have said some of the thing, same things I was saying. I do know this. 
she had a real connection with the person of Jesus Christ. And for me, that was the difference. Uh, it wasn't just knowledge that brought this joy or even revelation. It was the revealer. It was the contents who already lived inside of me that made saying those things and experiencing those things possible. And so from the beginning with me, it was always about the person of Jesus Christ. Always. This is personal. And, and you know, that's why all of our biological models in the church fail us. They have to. The love of God requires that they fail us. You know, a stimulus and response like any kind of biological organism. And most of those stimuli were nothing. We called them programs in the church I grew up in. Oh, yes. You're trying to stimulate people to do things they don't really want to do. And if that's to come back on Sunday nights or support missions or give more money or whatever, um, those biological models always fail us. The mechanical models where you put in a, you know, the laws of operation and produce a particular product, they always fail us because I was discovering and simply reading the scriptures and listening to the Holy Spirit that Christianity is a personal model or it's nothing. Yeah, you know, and I look at those programs, Steve, and of course I was a part of that as well. It's almost like as a church, um, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, a lot of those programs are to cover up the fact that we're not experiencing life. Yeah. And life by its nature can't be manufactured. It right. can only be birthed. And right. once it's birthed, then it's experienced. And when it's experienced, it's expressed. So it's almost like we're trying to manufacture life. And that's oh, just never going to happen. Well, that's that's why we keep, again, using our mechanical models or, or whatever to make something happen uh, to cover, you know, the deficits we're all aware of because we keep believing we are separate from the person or we are not fully connected to the person. And so we wouldn't dare call ourselves saints. We wouldn't dare say we're dead to sin. We We just simply could not. Uh, say that we already have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Mm. Um, and, and those are the kinds of things, though, I was hearing from God. And, and I remember saying to people in little small groups around campus or, or uh, even in church, I was still going to the same church at the time in, in Bible studies that, you know, everybody talked about what a lousy excuse for Christians they were and what a poor sinner they were. And, and I would say, but I'm perfectly saved. And the conversation would just stop. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the, a full and perfect savior can only fully and perfectly save you. He does not do imperfect, half full <laughs> salvations. <laughs> That's not how he operates. And of course, everybody was thinking performance, weren't they? I would say, yes. well, I'm a perfect, I'm a perfect Christian. And they would all laugh and cover their heads, say lightning's going to come through the, you know, the, the roof. How can you say something like that? I said, what recourse does God have but to do what he does fully and perfectly? 
I am a perfect Christian. I may not have looked like it this week. You guys may take a vote and say he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I am what God says I am. And that, that was kind of the seeds of that liberty that I'm not what my tradition says I am. I'm not what my emotions tell me I am. I'm not what other people think I am. I am what God says I am. Your words, Steve, about uh, being a partial Christian, that is resonating in my brain as, as I'm flipping through my mental Rolodex. Yes, you can tell how old I am. I'm flipping through my mental Rolodex <laughs> and I'm walking down the aisles in countless Christian bookstores and looking at titles and over and over they allude or they blatantly tell us that, you know, we're partial Christians. There's more that we have to do. There's a plan. There's a step two. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, if, if the church at large understood the truth about them being complete and having every spiritual blessing already that there is possible to have for them, that would change the face of modern Christianity. Certainly really put those would. publishers out of business. <laughs> It really would, John. I mean, that was one of the delights of pastoring a university church here on the University of Florida campus. We have lots of visitors who are assigned to visit a local church from, you know, for a class of sociology or, or philosophy of religion or something. And they would always ask the same question, you know, what is it about Christianity that makes it so different from every other basically monotheistic religion out there or any other kind? And, you know, you, we could talk about grace and we could talk about Trinity and, and those things. But I always started them right there at this very point. I'll tell you what's different about Christianity than everything else out there. We start complete. Mm -hmm. From day one, we put our faith in Christ. We start complete. No other religion out there will tell you that. You are trying to get complete. You are trying to work your way toward completion. You're trying to close the gaps. You're trying to finance the perceived deficit between you and God by borrowing something from the flesh or the created realm, and you end up bankrupt, don't you? But Christianity is good news, and it's unique because we start complete. A full and perfect Savior takes up residence in our spirits the moment we say, yes, Lord. Hmm. I love the way you said that, Steve. We start complete. Yeah. Because then the rest of life is not really achieving anymore, but simply learning how to live as a complete person, uh, oh, yeah. drawing drawing life from him. You know, it's, it was I was listening to the two of you, I, and please don't hear my heart be critical or negative here, but as I'm just reflecting, and the messages that I would hear all those years. This week, it was six steps to this. And then the next week, it was eight steps. And the week after that was four principles. And, you know, people, we'd all come out and say, boy, wasn't that wonderful? Uh, but, you know, we'd forget them in the next day or two. And then if we added them up over the 52 Sundays in a year, goodness, we've got 500 things to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that, again, it, it, we, we know, and we've been talking about this long enough, Frank and John, I mean, you know, this goes all the way back to the person of Christ. He, he is a full and perfect Savior, and he has finished the work of everything that it takes to reconcile a created human being to an uncreated eternal God. 
And what we're daring to say and what I was hearing in those early formative years of learning to, to be as honest and as real with, with Christ as I knew how to be was that Jesus is enough. Mm. He is enough for you. And you don't need to, again, learn some special trick or have a new extracurricular experience or figure out some novel, mysterious insight. Jesus is enough for you. And because all the fullness of God dwelt in him, and now all that fullness or completion dwells in you, as Paul said in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, then you can say about yourself, you are complete. Yes. You're a full and perfect Christian, missing in nothing pertaining to life and godliness. Mm. Now, trust me. Trust me, believe me, take from me and watch everything I've put into you find its escape. Steve, I, I know we're going to have you back. I don't know how close we are to finishing up time right now, John, but we got a few more minutes. When, when I think one of the major things I think of is how, you know, do we do we bring this into the church? I mean, you know, I was. Uh, in the church that I'm in now for, oh, it was probably three or four years. And I had a gentleman come up to me and this was not meant as a compliment, but he said, you know what? All you ever do is talk about Jesus. <laughs> and it was, he, you know, he was, you. Want, he was wanting more, more to do more to, uh, it's just, it's so sad. Now, several years later, uh, the Holy Spirit did open that man's eyes. And it's just wonderful to watch that dear brother walk now. Yeah. It's almost like we are going to have to evangelize Christians, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so, Frank. And I and I and I think, it, you know, if I go all the way back to the thing that got my attention, you know, if, if we're going to bring the good news or evangelize Christians, we need some good news people. Jenny was a good news person. She was full of the good news. She wasn't just, you know, marketing a salvation program. Um, the, the good news of Jesus Christ living in her fueled her. And that was attractive to me. Um, you know, Bible studies aren't going to do it. I don't think preaching from the pulpit is going to do it, Frank. I mean, that teaching truth you and I both know is, is critical. Don't get me wrong. And sitting down and doing what I'm talking about, maybe without too many of our commentaries and without too many of, of our needs to preach a sermon or teach a Bible study, but simply to learn to listen for our Father's voice, somehow or another, inviting a few people at a time to, to hear God speak to them from the simple truth of the scriptures and see it in the good news lives of a person here or there uh, can do more than all the conferences and, and, you know, filled stadiums and everything else that we try to do to, to make this life work. Right. But we are so accustomed to steps and programs and uh, little booklets, little pamphlets for how to do A, B, C, and D. Some years ago, Stephen, as we're wrapping up, uh, I feel comp uh, really like I want to share this revelation that father gave me a few years ago. I'm a tool guy. 
I like tools. So the picture he put in my mind was that when we became a Christian, when we became complete in him, he gave us not a Walmart toolbox, and I don't want to disparage Walmart, but not a little tiny toolbox. He gave us the biggest toolbox imaginable, filled with hundreds and hundreds of different drawers. And everything pertaining to life and godliness that we will need is like a tool tucked away somewhere in those drawers. And as life unfolds and circumstances parade in front of us, and we wonder how to deal with it, the Holy Spirit reminds us that, yeah, I got a tool for that. Trust me and let me show you where it is and how it works. And then as you step forward in faith, he brings that tool, so to speak, out, and you see him use it in you and through you. Mm-hmm. And you begin to realize, wow, I really am a snap-on toolbox. I'm not just the junk kind. I have every tool I need for everything I face. And for the people to whom I spoke that at that time, that was something that really resonated with them. They, they mm-hmm. took it home. It, 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 yeah. took, it took the I am complete concept out of the realm of, of, of fuzziness way up in some ethereal plane and put it down at a level where they can really wrap their hand around it. Uh, I think so. I can see why. I can see why. No yeah. doubt, John. Well, guys, it's uh, about time for us to wrap up this episode. Frank, Steve, any last comments before we uh, adjourn for this time? I was just listening to you, and I guess the thought, I, we have the toolbox. We have the, the person of Christ who who has all the tools. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what a joy to find a multifaceted life that is up to the demand of any circumstance of life. Yes. Um, for sure. Wonderful. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. And listeners, thanks for uh, sitting in on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Don't forget to check out our website, www.ourresolutehope.com. And uh, certainly, please follow us on our social media platforms. And once again, we remind you today and always to choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.